0: Going. Okay, we're in Thessalonians chapter 4 tonight, or today, tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. <clears throat> We've kind of been going through this book. We did an in depth study on this years ago in the adult class, and so I thought I would just um, prepare some sermons on it. But as I mentioned before, the, the church at Thessalonica was a young church. About six months old at this time when Paul uh, wrote this particular book, Paul was the one that started this is a, a, a church plant. and So he is going to write to them and encourage them. And so as we have found out, for the most part, they've been doing the right things. They have been growing. They have been um, increasing in spiritual growth. And so that really, that thought continues here in chapter 4. If I was to break chapter 4 down into three categories, it would be this. In verses 1 through 8, Paul is encouraging them to walk in holiness. And we spent, what, six or eight weeks on that one word, holy. And so you know what holiness is. But Paul is encouraging them in the first eight verses to to be faithful, to, to keep doing what you're doing. And in fact, he wants them to abound. So the first eight verses, he is encouraging them to walk in holiness. And then verses 9 through 12, he is encouraging them to walk in love. And then verse 13 through verse 18, he encourages them to walk in diligence, to be faithful. I mean, if you do the other two things but forget the third, it's all of no value, is it? so we must be faithful to God to the very end of our life, to the very end of our days. I really liked Jeff's uh, meditation this morning, comparing that to, to a race. We all have the same finish line, don't we? Those different races, whether it's the 100 or the, the 200, they have different starting points, but they all finish at, this, at the finish line. And that's the walk, that's the, the journey that we have as Christians and we must be faithful to the very, very end. Those boring races are the 3200s. They take forever. But man, as, as those kids go around the track and the closer they get, the, 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 the people get into it and they're encouraging those runners. And when, that, when they cross the finish line, oh, I made it. Sometimes they're so exhausted that they'll fall off to the side. I've seen kids pass out but they made it. And that's the way we need to be spiritually. That's the way we need to be. We need to do whatever we can so that we can cross that finish line. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 today, in verse number 1, Paul says, Finally then, brethren, we urge and we exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. And so there's two words that really stuck out of my mind here in verse number one. Paul says, I urge and exhort you. Those are two words that you could use the word beg, if you will. That's another word. He uses a word um, that really is, is trying to show us how important that what he is about to say is. I beg you to do this. He says the phrase, in the Lord. And I think that's the important thing. Paul says, we have taught you, in verse number two, we have given you the commandments, we have given you the tools that you need to succeed, now we want you to go out and live it. There's only so much that you can do, isn't there? Even as a parent, there's only so much that you can do. God gives us about 18 years or so with our kids, and we do the best that we can in those 18 years, and then at some point we have to say, okay, go out and do it. We've showed you, we've given you all the tools necessary, and now it's your turn. You have to live it. You have to experience it. I can remember when we taught, or I taught the kids how to ride a bicycle. Remember that? They get all excited. They kind of get the wheel. The training wheels come off. and So you hold the back of the seat like this, and you run along with them, and then you kind of let go of it. And they're teeter-tottering, and they finally go. You kind of have to let them go at some point. And that's what Paul was saying here. We have given you everything necessary for you to succeed, but now you have to do it on your own. And the way that you can do it on your own is in the Lord. In verse number 2, he says, through the Lord. That's the way that you are going to succeed as a Christian. That's the way you're going to succeed in life is in or through the Lord. And there's no other place that that can happen. And so in verse number 3, Paul is going to show to us and tell us what God wants us to do. We need to pay attention to this. Whenever something says, this is the will of God, your ears ought to perk up. In verse number 3, he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. And here it is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So what is the will of God for me in my life? What do I need to do to be pleasing to God? Paul is going to give us four or five things here, and the first one that we are to do is to abstain from sexual immorality. And so that is fornication, having sex outside the marriage. That is adultery, having sex with someone who is not your partner. That is homosexuality. That is all the other garbage that is going on in the world today. Paul says stay away from it I think the old King James uses the word flee flee from it that reminds me of what Joseph did back in the Old Testament when old Mrs. Potiphar was trying to seduce Joseph what did he do he fled he took that robe off that she was trying to hold on to him with and he got tail and ran he fled from that and so, if you want to be pleasing to God, the first thing you need to do is to abstain from sexual immorality. There's a common theme as you read Scripture, to me anyway, that there's certain things that God just really frowns upon. And one of those is sexual immorality. Back in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, God destroyed two cities for what? Sexual immorality, for uh, uh, homosexuality in that particular example. In the New Testament, there's about three or four places, Romans, First Corinthians, Revelation is three, that kind of gives us a list of sins that God said, if you are connected with these, you cannot get to heaven. And three out of four of those lists, the first sins that are mentioned are sexual sins. And so those, for some reason, seem to be on God's radar. God said, don't do it. Flee from it. Get away from it. And so if we want to have the will of God in our life, the first thing I need to do is to abstain from sexual immorality. But he also says in verse 3, this is your sanctification. Remember, we talked about the word holy and the word sanctify. Those two are really the same Greek word, and it means that we have been set apart for the purpose of serving God. And so what good would it do if I, for example, was to become a Christian and then continue in the same sins that I was in before? That wouldn't do any good, would it? And so that's why we have to make a big change in our life. We have to make a big change spiritually, and people will be able to notice that. The person that we were before our conversion is different than the person that was after our conversion. So if we want to have God's will in our life, we must be holy. We must be, we must be set apart. Cease doing what is evil or wrong. The second thing we need to do in verse number four, he says, let each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. We need to take care of our vessel, our body. Now, we are told in other places, for example, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, and verse number 18, that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives and dwells within us. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in verse number 19 Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have from God and you are not your own you were bought at a price therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. And so In Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38, when we are baptized into Christ, our sins are forgiven, and we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit lives and dwells within us. So we need to do what we can to take care of our body. And so going back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says that we are to, in verse 4, we are to possess our body, in sanctification and honor. Everything that we do, we are to give honor to God. In verse number 5, how can I make sure that God's will is my will? I need to abstain from sexual immorality. I need to take care of my body. And then the third thing we need to do is in verse 5, not in passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. See that no one takes advantage of or defrauds his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we have forewarned you and have testified. Paul said, take care of each other. Man, the closest family that you have ought to be the people in this building right now. Seriously. The closest people that should be to you should be your brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, sometimes we struggle with our physical families, don't we? We have, we have disagreements. We have uh, things that kind of separate us and break us apart from time to time. But our brothers and sisters in Christ ought to be the closest people in our network. I said this, I might have been on a Sunday night. But the people that I love the most are in this room right now. That includes my physical family. Because we've been here, I've been here 16 years now, 17 years, something like that, a long time, and so I kind of like you all, believe it or not. We kind of got close. We've kind of gotten close. I I love the time that we had together Friday, uh, just having together and time to talk and eat and things like that. That's what it's all about. That's kind of what heaven to me is going to be like. And so we shouldn't do things against our brother. Yes, we have difficulties. Yes. We have disagreements from time to time. Yes, when you get 40, 50, 60 people, you're going to have different opinions on different things. But if it isn't a salvation issue, just let it go. And so that's what Paul was trying to say. Take care of each other. In verse number 7, what do I need to do to make God's will my will? I need to be holy. He says in verse 7, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. You have been set apart for the purpose of doing things to please God. That is what you are here to do. Then the second thing that Paul talks about starting in verse number 9. He exhorts them to walk in love. He said concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. I think it's in the DNA of a Christian to love each other. I think, just like I think it's in the DNA of a baby to know that there is a creator. And we teach them over time that there is no creator and that the world came by evolution. That's not natural. It's natural for us to learn to want to love each other. But Paul said, listen, you all are just absolutely got this one figured out. He says, brotherly love, that's the word Philadelphia. He says, you don't have any need for me to even talk to you about this. But he said, what I want you to do in verse 10, I want you to increase more and more. You never have enough love, do you? Do You ever have enough love for your wife or for your child? You never get to that point, do you? And Paul says, he tells them two different times in this chapter, I want you to abound more and more. And one of those is here in verse number 10 when he talks about love. In verse 11, he tells us three things. If you really love, you know, Jesus tells us that we are to love the Lord our God, then we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. How can I love my neighbor as myself? Well, verse number 11 gives us three things that we can do. Towards our neighbor, make sure that you aspire to lead a quiet life. Number one, mind your own business. Number two, and to work with your own hands, have we have commanded you? Pretty good suggestions, isn't it? Hey, listen, just just keep to yourself as much as you can. Quit minding everybody else's business. Just mind your own and go out and work. Wouldn't that be good if everybody in America did those three things today? I heard uh, one day this week, um, I don't know how they find all this information out, but from the age of 25 to 35, we have 7 million men who are not working in that age group. And we have 11 million job openings right now in America. And so we got a problem, don't we? But we don't have men 25 to 35 years old, 7 million of them, who refuse to work For one reason or another, we have a problem. And I can tell you from experience that when you work and when you work hard, you're going to mind your business and you're going to lead a quiet life because you're too busy. You're either working or you're sleeping or you're taking care of your family. And so we need to learn this as a country, and you understand that. But Paul was showing this to the Thessalonians that they need to be workers. One of the problems that they had is that they thought that Jesus was going to come back at any time. And so if that's the case, why should I work? If I know for sure that Jesus is going to come uh, back on Tuesday, I'm going to call in sick Monday. And just do whatever I want to do because I know that's the end. That's the end. And that was kind of the mindset of these people in this time. They thought that Jesus was going to come back at any time. And so, why should I work? Why should I do anything that might harm me? This is it. And so, Jesus or Paul says, love each other. And he gives them three ideas of what to do. And then, verses 13 through 18, Paul encourages them to be faithful. He gives us a little bit of a clue as to what is going to happen on the last day. And he even tells us in verse 13, Brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant about the last day. And so no, we don't know exactly everything that's going to happen on judgment day. We haven't experienced it yet. And so a lot of people has a lot of different ideas as to what's going to happen, but Paul gives us just a little bit of a clue, a little bit of a snapshot as to how it's all going to go down on the last day. And he says this, <clears throat> for in verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, isn't that the basis of our hope? Isn't that the basis of our uh, our religion is that we believe that Jesus died and that if he died and resurrected that we also are going to go through the same thing? If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with a voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Wow, that sounds exciting, doesn't it? It kind of gives us a little bit of a snapshot as to how the last day is going to be. God is going to or Jesus is going to come out of heaven. He is going to have a shout, that of an archangel. I've never heard that, but I'm sure that everybody will when that time comes. With the voice of an archangel, the trumpet is going to blow. A trumpet in the Bible oftentimes was for announcements. Something big is happening. The dead in Christ will rise first. I told Tony Smith or somebody that Tony has the front row seat to the resurrection. Tony lives right across from the cemetery. He's got the front row seat to the resurrection. Man, he'll be the first one to see it coming. When all those bodies start coming out of the grave and they they come up in the air, those who are Christians, he'll be able to see that. He'll be able to realize and understand that the resurrection is real. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then those of us who are still on the earth will be caught up to meet Jesus in the air. Man, that sounds exciting. Whew. Kind of gives you chill bumps a little bit, doesn't it? It almost sounds scary, doesn't it? I mean, how, tomorrow, tomorrow is Halloween. And Halloween, you got zombies you know, walking around like this. That almost sounds like a Halloween movie, doesn't it? But we didn't read the last verse. We always fail to read the last verse. What does the last verse say? Comfort each other with these words. It's not, it shouldn't be a scary thing. No, we don't know exactly everything that's going to happen, but I just leave it in God's hands. I just let God take control of it because He's in control, and Paul says we are to have comfort in the idea that it's going to happen this way. I've had the privilege of sitting next to sites, people of Christians who have died. And I tell you, it's remarkable to see a Christian leave this earth and go to the next. Very peaceful, praying sometimes with people. And so just to kind of get a little glimpse of that to see how things are going to be. We can have comfort in that. It's not a scary thing. If you're not a Christian, it ought to scare you to death. It ought to wake you up. It ought to say, hey, hey, dude, this is happening one day. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to split that skies wide open. You're going to see him. You're going to hear him. But when you do, it's too late. I just wonder how many people are going to be running to water when they see Jesus split the sky open. It's going to be too late they heard it. They've heard it for years sometimes. They refuse to do anything, but when they see Jesus coming, it's going to be too late. The invitation will be closed at that point. But again, I'd like to close with that last verse. Comfort each other with these words. Yes, we know that Jesus is coming. Yes, we know that there is a judgment day. But yes, we know that Jesus' blood can cover our sins, that our sins be forgiven our sins could be wiped away never to be seen again and we have comfort we have hope because jesus died jesus was buried and jesus resurrected and we one day are going to go through that same process of being raised again and so i encourage you this morning if you're here and you're not a christian man what are you waiting for It ought to scare you to death that you're not a Christian. It ought to scare you to death to realize that today could be your last day on earth, and if you die in that lost condition, you'll be from God for eternity. That should scare you. But we could also take care of that today, too. The Ethiopian eunuch said, here's water. Why can't I get baptized? And so I tell you the same thing today. We have water available. It'll take us a little bit to fill that tub up. But we have water. We'll baptize you today. And then you'll know without a shadow of a doubt that you're a Christian and that you can have your sins forgiven, that you have the Holy Spirit living in you, that you can be a new person. As long as you remain faithful to God, when that day comes, it will be a day of comfort.